Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast where we chat everything and anything to do with the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Cowie. I'm Nora Germain. I'm a drummer turned comedy singer songwriter. I'm a violinist turned Scott co-host. Smooth. And apparently we are now both podcasters and you're going to hear us chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottcowie.com, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Audioboom, SoundCloud, anywhere you get them podcasts. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell the ex-girlfriend when you call her up before you tell her she's a cow, tell her to check out the podcast. But for now, enjoy the show. Guest this week in the podcast, James Eden, my main man, the man that I have known for a long, long period of time. Of course, he was one half of the duo Martin and James, and now he's he's gone solo. A successful solo career is ahead of her, James, no doubt. Uh, great stories, great guy, uh, a, a, a beautiful man. He's gorgeous too. All coming up on the Talk Music Podcast. Boom! Before we get to the interview, I'm joined by Nora Germain. Nora, how are you? I'm great. You, I'm so great. You've been in Miami. You've been in Miami, the Big Apple. Yeah, yeah, I have been. I've been eating tacos and swimming with the fish. I'm not kidding. There are fish. They swim right through your little legs. Nora, you put up a picture that the internet went wild. Which one? Gig Life 1997. <laughs> oh, yeah. What age are you then? <laughs> Those are my gangster photos. Six. How good were you at violin? What could you play at that age? Were you playing jazz and shit? Were you playing merrily? Were you roll along? <laughs> um, I was playing like Twinkle, possibly like Minuet One from Bach, maybe like um, Hot Cross Buns. I was playing. Uh, what else was I playing? You playing blues or anything? Like huh? Were you playing blues or anything? No, when I was six? No, my life was great when I was six. <laughs> you didn't have a lot of like bad experiences to draw from. Of course, <laughs> Maybe you had, I, you I did know that I was having bad experiences because I was eating so much flipping ice cream. Really? What's the, you've got ice cream in the brain today. What's going on with the old ice cream front? I just feel like it, you know, and there's a place in LA, it's called Sage. It's a great restaurant and they have vegan ice cream. It's amazing. They make amazing... Coconut ice cream, every flavor, incredible, and I love it, and I just really want to go there, and I want to eat it, you know? Um, Listen, you're going to be really proud of me. As we record this, it's like six weeks I've not had chocolate, I've not had crisps, um, I've not had fizzy juice, soda. How do you live? Hmm? How do you live? Uh, I've been eating a lot of, I've been drinking a gallon of water a day, and I've been... Ugh! I'll, ugh, you're right out of that window. Um, what else have I been eating? Celery sticks and peanut butter. Yeah. Oh, ugh. Don't ugh me. I will ugh you right back. Have you been eating pizza at least? No, I've not been eating pizza. I fucking hate pizza. I don't know what the big deal is with pizza. I don't know. Maybe it's really good. It's not really good. 
<laughs> maybe- you know, Italians make this amazing pizza. They put the bread, the dough, and then there's pesto, and they put vegetables on it. It's like it's like uh, it's so amazing. It's so I have to figure out how to make it. Do you guys eat, do you guys eat mince over there? What mince? What's that? Have you never heard of mince? No. I know you're saying you like. What about a steak pie? Uh, like a meat pie. Yeah, it's different words, isn't we it? Pie, have... pie beans and chips. No, we don't have any of that stuff. Say Coat Bridge in a Scottish accent. Sorry? Say Coat Bridge in a Scottish accent. Coat Bridge. <laughs> you, you, you look as if you're somebody that plays in Coat Bridge. There's a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot happening in the gigging scene here. Nora. Uh, yes. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about space. Okay. Right, see if you can get this. Just a warm up, and then we're going to cut to the interview, and then we're going to come right back to you. Does that sound good? Does that sound like a massive plan? Sounds great. And we're going to hear about your trip to Miami, the Big Apple, the Big Smoke, okay. as they call it. Right. Okay. Which way does the Earth spin from east? Sorry. Which <laughs> Which way does the Earth spin from west to east, or from east to west? Um. Well, I think that's sort of relative, but I know it goes counterclockwise. So I guess that'd be east to west. It's counterclockwise, that's all I know. It's west to east. What? West? Yeah. West? Oh, wait, that is counterclockwise. Clockwise, because if you're looking at it, you're going from left to right, right? Is that right? Count- wait, counterclockwise would be that, right? Counter- counterclockwise would be to the left. But I don't yeah. know what that equates to. Well, that'll be... Oh, who gives a shit? Right, <laughs> question number two. <laughs> right. Which planet is bigger, Earth or Mars? Oh, boy. This is a really stupid question. Everybody it's should not a stupid this. question. I don't, why don't I know this? I, um, I know this, actually. Uh, Earth is... I'm going to say Earth. I don't know. I don't know. Is it Earth? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it is, right? I'm, I would have yeah. said Earth. Hold on. It is. Correct. Well done. Now, okay. we've got a few more to ask, and we're just only getting started, ladies and gentlemen. This is a, the next one's a cracker. There's your cliffhanger, right? So we're going to cut to the interview. We're going to come right back with the greatest violin player that ever walked the face of the earth, and his her name is Nora Germain, soon-to-be best-selling author, soon-to-be New York Times best-selling author, to be exact. We're going to speak to Nora in a bit after the interview. Uh, let's get right down to it. Boom. Woo. Okay, I am back on the Talk Music Podcast and I am joined by fellow Coat Bridge man, the one and only, James Eden. How you doing, Scott? Good. It feels bizarre to say that a little bit because I've always known and loved you as James O'Neill. Yeah, that's right. Um, but it's a new dawn, it's a new day. It is. Um, Eden's my middle name, so um, I took away the surname because I just thought it sounded too... Irish pogues, kind of wolf tones, like. <laughs> so I just decided Eden sounds a bit different. It's a bit cooler uh, and all that kind of jazz. <laughs> so you've chosen this because you're embarking on, of course, the, the solo career. Um, so what happened to our, our, our beloved Martin Kelly? Is he sacked now? Did he leave the band? <laughs> no, um, unfortunately, um, we were, well, as you know, we were out and living in Germany for seven years. Uh, we were signed there. So um, 
unfortunately the record label dropped us <laughs> and that put us in a bit of a position where you know all of a sudden you don't have any you know kind of financial stability and uh, at that time we, we'd also um recently um sacked our management as well so uh, it was a land of opportunities right there this is going to be brilliant because the last <laughs> time you and i had a little a little jam um you were telling me about the whole the whole story so I'm, we're going to get into this it's, <laughs> it is fascinating stuff okay signed to universal germany i met you a long long time ago we're going to get into all of that but let's mm -hmm. confront the elephant in the room a couple of weeks ago i posted on facebook i said something it was just after the farm game i'd said great game bad for any team to lose in a penalty shootout the two best players in the park were tierney who's a star and Mackay, mm -hmm. and the first person to like it was yourself Let's talk about the old farm game. <laughs> okay. Where did you watch it? What do you think? Well, I was actually out in Frankfurt at the time. I was playing a private gig for a, an old Martin and James fan. And uh, I got an internet connection at the hotel. And it was a beautiful sunny day. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to you know, connect to this old farm game and watch it. And um, I had my, my Celtic top over me. So I just wore like a Celtic t-shirt. And, and the things were, were, you know... Well, actually, the first when the first half is over... Um, I automatically just had a feeling that Celtic would lose the match. Right. Um, Rangers were playing so well that I just thought, I like, you know, certain things. You know, they were uh, they had they had looked a lot, you know, faster. They had a lot more pace than Celtic, and they seemed to want to win more. And I even thought that by the end of the game, you know, watching penalties is, you know, it's torture, it's absolutely it. torture. Um. And yeah, you know, there was a lot to be said after the match about, you know, the manager, Delia, and uh, I think that was like, that was the obvious end of the road for him. Um, but, you know, I respect, you know, any, you know, football team that comes out and wants wants the win and, you know, has a passion to play and Rangers, you know, wholeheartedly deserve to win that match, you know. I'm not one of these, <laughs> you know, stuck-up Celtic fans that, you know, you know, is going to fight, fight against that, you know, but the, uh, old, the older you get, don't you? You kind of see it from <laughs> their point of view because I like all my all my friends are of course Celtic fans, and I kind of really think to myself, if I was a Celtic fan, I mean, yes, every Celtic fan I've got a right to be annoyed about that performance because Aye. Rangers are still on a championship, and with the greatest respect, Celtic mm -hmm. should be going out there. And as um um what's his name, Chris Sutton said a few days prior to that in the press that. They should really show Rangers that you know they are a class above. So mm. I, I think that is true, but yeah. unfortunately, every Celtic fan has gotten it right to be annoyed. Aye, and that just goes to show you how much uh, Rangers have improved. You know, since the the last old firm before that, uh, and you know, I think you know for the future of Celtic, I think it's probably the right decision for Delia to go and Celtic to you know get some fresh blood in and build a really strong team for for next year you know i think that's the that's what's got to happen you know and you know such anything can happen in an old firm as they've always said you know it doesn't matter form yeah it doesn't matter you know who's doing what i mean, I, I could all you know i can remember when i used to go to celtic park with my dad and celtic were always playing the better football but they would always lose uh so that was those that, that kind of frustrating years that they had like uh, Loudrup and mm -hmm. guys like Alberts and things like that. And, you know, they'd be going to a, 
we're watching Celtic play really great, you know, European style football, and and they would lose the game with one goal. We're like, <laughs> Andy Gorham. Tottenham teams improving. We're this is the night we're, we're recording this the night that Tottenham are going to play Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. So talking of teams improving, Leicester could effectively win a league tonight. Are, are they going to do it? I think they will do it. Uh, there's been so much talk, you know, about them winning the league uh, throughout, you know, halfway through that season. So um, good on them, I say. You know, it's a, a vast improvement for them. And that's what football is all about. Isn't it? You, you want teams to challenge mm-hmm. challenge you and, uh, and you want to see good football, you know. When I was living in Germany, I watched great football uh, you know, every week, watching the Bundesliga and... Um, Come, I came. You, I come back to Scotland and watch Celtic. You know, punt the ball up the field. You know, and watching Scottish football is just depressing. <laughs> it certainly is. Right, want to get into this. Martin and James. Okay, the very first outfit was Sleeping Prophets. That's right. I remember yeah. playing it. What do you call it? What do you call a bar? Merlin McFly's. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Could never forget that. Right. Did you guys have a residency there, or did you just play there quite a lot? Well. It almost seemed like we had a residency. We actually had a re- residency in the nightclub Odin. Mm-hmm. So we had an, a residency there and we would play there every Thursday. And from that, uh, we picked up some gigs at Merlin McFly's. And on a, <laughs> Merlin McFly. I, I believe it was a Tuesday night we'd play there. Or uh, it was one night anyway, but um, I, we, we would play there and, you know, other local bands would play. Um and you know, would it was just a great way to, you know, first, you know, your first experiences as a musician and as a, a gig and band, um, play these kind of places, you know, and meet other musicians, become friends with them, and some of these guys that I I play with, you know, I'm still friends with now, which is you know amazing. So uh, you're you're playing right, the Sleeping Prophets lineup, as yourself, Martin Kelly, Ryan uh, McNeil, Ryan McNeil on bass. And Sean McGrath on drums. Right, okay. So this band, long story short, eventually becomes Boana Devil. Am I skipping out anything significant? No, or is that that's the... right. Uh, we went uh, on to Boana Devil. Um, Ryan, within that lineup, left the band. Uh, and Ryan is Martin and I's uh, best friend. Mm-hmm. So he left the band and we got another bass player, Ed. And, um, and Sean also left the band. And then you came in and you did some gigs with us as well mm-hmm. uh which was good fun as always um and from that um we just i think what, what I don't, we... I, i'm skipping out the, the connection that i'm missing is how did how did germany come into play how did we go from a band doing well locally a few people starting to to become familiar with the songs because the songs are there at that point the, the songs that were the they went on to become the Martin James songs, Aye. if you like. Those brilliant songs that mm. I was fortunate enough to be in the room when you were kind of putting together and stuff like Aye. that. I take the credit for all of that. <laughs> um, like all over the news. Great, Aye. great tunes. So how do we how do we go from, from that to being signed in Germany? What what happens with the story? So we were uh, Buana Devil and uh, we had entered this kind of battle of the bands sort of competition um, that was taking place all over Europe. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but there was like a Glasgow heat, there was a London heat, there was a Berlin heat, and there was like um, heats all over Europe. Um, so this company 
or this um, representative of this of this company contacted us by email saying, you know, we, you're playing Glasgow Barfly. This is going to be your sound check time. This is going to be there was like a kind of rider kind of lowdown kind of thing. And uh, by this point, um, Martin and I, uh, in fact, before that, we had interest from Polydor. Polydor were interested and they gave us some money, like a, a demo deal. So we got some studio time in the mixing rooms in Glasgow. And that all went, you know, instead of, we, di we didn't really know what they wanted. So we just done a 10 track acoustic kind of um, CD. And that didn't, you know, that didn't uh, fly. So uh, so at that point, the drummer left the band and, uh, and you came in and et cetera, et cetera. And I think, I don't know if we were a two piece at that point or if we were a band. But anyway, with this competition that was going on, um, Martin and I decided, you know, let's not, can't be bothered with these Battle of the Bands anymore. They're all fixed, you know. We didn't really have any time um, for it. Um, it didn't really interest us to to go and do this gig. You know, you know, we gigged around Glasgow for about 10 years and it was just another gig to us. It didn't really have any importance. And on that, at this stage as well, we, we were on MySpace and this is how you were entering these competitions at the time. It wasn't like sending your CD away or anything like that. It was MySpace. So people were listening to us on MySpace. And um, so we didn't turn up for that. And then one of the representatives from that that um, company contacted us saying, why did you not turn up? I really liked your music. And we said, you know, we're, we're, we're not interested uh, um, in these kind of competitions. So, right, okay, I'm going to keep in touch with your guys' music, you know. And... So about eight months later, we'd been in the studio working uh, on songs that uh, Martin and I had wrote together and also um, separately. So we recorded some of these songs and then uh, this representative wanted to hear them. So um, <clears throat> he sent that away to Germany and she said, I really like these songs. Um, I'd really like to hear you guys live. Um, so her and her husband came over to Glasgow to hear uh, us play live and we didn't have any gigs so we, we were in a rehearsal room. So just by absolute coincidence and chance, she took not well and was left in the hotel room being sick. Her husband came to the rehearsal and he heard us play um, as a we Martin and I had um, got some session musicians in to do this session, this, this rehearsal. Um, so we practiced for like a week and we'd done this rehearsal and he, the the guy said at the time, you know, why don't you come and meet her in the hotel room and play some songs for her? So we thought at the time, you know, well, okay then, let's try it, but we can't take the band, so we, we, ha we only had to play acoustic. So Martin and I went along and we played acoustic in the hotel room for um, this girl and her husband and... Um, and it turned out that, you know, they became our management <laughs> in Germany. And he said that we sounded so much better as a two-piece than with a band. And that, throughout the years, a lot of people had said that when uh, Martin and I played together. And I guess when you were playing with two acoustic guitars and two vocals, you were hearing, you know, the identity of what, yep. we, what we turned out to be, which was, you know, all about the voices, all about the harmonies that we were singing and all about the guitar playing. Um, you know, when we were always working off each other. Um, so they turned out to be our first management and offered us to go to Germany and 
it was very it happened really fast. I was working in a call center, and uh, Martin was working doing uh, some kind of driving job. And uh, I, uh, we, Cause that, can I just because huh? at one point you saw every member of the band worked in the kitchen at King Tut's. Right? Aye, that's right. <laughs> aye, that's right. Um, I was working in the kitchen at King Tut's as well. Um, so it was so any time there was like a support band pulled out. Get aye. a voice for the kitchen. Finish off right, the stage, go on stage. Aye. Brilliant. It was great actually because um it was great working in King Tuts because you were all surrounded by musicians, you know, and mm-hmm. you're all surrounded by bands coming in and I, we would feed the band. So, you know, I would fed uh Amy McDonald, who <laughs> strangely enough, I later went on to support years later. Fuck. Uh, around about Germany and like O2 arenas around Germany, you know, that's mental. 12,000 people, uh, which was very strange. And I didn't use that as an opportunity to to go and say, "Hey, by the way, I cooked you macaroni and cheese." And Do bacon. you remember when you complained about the macaroni and cheese? <laughs> that was me. Um, but it was one of those things as well. You know, you were in the kitchen, you were serving musicians, but you actually wanted to be the, the musician yourself. And I kind of. Being surrounded in that environment kind of gives you inspiration to push yourself a wee bit more and get your head down and write and keep on plugging away at the music and keep on uh, trying to do it. So it was good experience for me. Then plus, I was able to go to gigs for free. So that was, you know, I'd seen some great bands um, around What's the town. Like? What's that? What's your cooking like? Oh, well, uh, since then, uh, it's went downhill. <laughs> Brilliant, right. So sorry, they become your management and you move over to Germany. So you and Martin are working, and you leave work in order to go over there. It was a kind of, it was like we went over, a, we went over a couple of times to Berlin for long weekends, and they'd set up some gigs. And at this time, MySpace was really popular. So um, basically, what you could do on MySpace was, you know, reach out to people and say, "You're in this postcode. Uh, there's a gig going on. Check out our music, and you know, come and see the gig." And surprisingly, we did do that. We reached out, well, management done it. They, they reached out to people within the postal area in the city of Berlin. And these were like gigs where you'd turn up with the guitars and you would sit on a couch and you would just play songs. You, there was no PA and uh, it was like quite old school. Um, and you would find that like 100 people would turn up. Uh, it was amazing, actually. Um, they were quite and like engaged by the music we were playing and and they would just turn up and at the end of the gig you would put a hat around the room and you would have a hundred euros by the end of the night mm-hmm. um so we started off doing these wee gigs um and coming over for long weekends and then we were offered to come over for six weeks during the summer and within that six weeks period uh we were signed to universal um the management had very cleverly got in touch with the head of uh a&R at the time at Universal, who had a lot of, uh, you know, links within the industry in Germany, um, big guns, basically. And uh, he loved the music straight away. He loved All Over the News. That was his, you know, the song he fell what in love track. with. Uh, he, f- he fell in love with that song and instantly uh, came out to some shows that were playing. And off the, the bat of some of the shows that he, he seen, he just said, let's, you know, cut a deal here. And uh, again, it was a demo deal. They kind of, they didn't want, now looking back, retrospect, I could tell that, you know, they didn't want to put 
you know, a lot of pressure on themselves. So they, they decided, let's get a producer and see what they come up with, you know, let's see what they, they do in the studio. So we went into the studio with a producer uh, over a weekend and we recorded Bad Dream and we recorded Wrong Directions. So um, before we went in the studio, we, were, we had a meeting with the, the label and they were saying, you know, let's do Wrong Directions, but mm, Bad Dream, you know, and at the time the demo was just my voice and acoustic guitar. Uh, so it was really hard to kind of get a, an atmosphere or a vibe from the demo and knowing people at labels, you know, they need to hear, sometimes they need to hear a finished product before they, they even, you know, consider a song. Uh, so we said, no, let's push it. Let's, let's go with Bad Dream, see how it turns out. And then at the end, we, you know, once we'd finished the songs with this producer, they said that Bad Dream, you know, turned out better than Wrong Directions did. And, you know, they were really impressed with it. And off the, the the back of this demo, um, this kind of demo two tracks we did, we uh, then they, we then signed a deal for an album. Uh, so I it was, it all happened really fast, and and almost instantly we were in the thick of it, you know. Uh, so you're signing Universal Germany, right? And uh, by this point, you have been playing together for years. You and Kelly started playing together. What age? Maybe fourteen, fifteen. I uh, was I was about. 15 mark i will i i would i would have been 14 mark was 15 uh-huh. right so he's i mean years and years by this point playing up and down the uk playing all over the world pretty much in different circumstances and of course you're now at the stage i mean you and kelly are just dead laid back dead chilled but these have did you just have a little moment where it's like man percent of universal holy shit well it's strange it's like when it was always one of those things, like, obviously my dad had a, a record deal um, throughout his career as a musician, and um, our dream was always to get a record deal, um, and, you know, uh, and, you know, li- li- live the dream, and then, you know, just get into the industry, and I think our main ob- objective was to be getting paid for writing songs, um, but it's one of those things, is when you get signed, uh, you know, it's it's almost like that's just that's just the that's just everything starting. Mm-hmm. The workload is like tremendous. After that, you know, it's like so there's so much work involved, and in, and in, you know, writing songs, and then demoing songs, and then deciding you know what arrangement um you're having in the songs, and then taking those demos into the studio. What are you going to change? Are you going to use that song? The, de- the song then gets recorded, it turns out worse than the demo, and, you know, so f- we did have a celebration, obviously, you know, we, we could celebrate, you know, the opening of a letter <laughs> uh, any day of the week, but, I, I mean... But there was no kind of... <sighs> presumably you would have reacted, because at that point you're probably, what, mid-twenties? I think, um, what age would I have been? About 24, 25, something when we got So started. had you been 18, it would have been like... It would be significantly different, isn't it? Because at that point, aye. there's more kind of you're more worldly wise, and you know what it is and aye. what it isn't, despite the fact that it's a great achievement. Mm-hmm. I, I think as well, we were prepared. Um, we were prepared for it. We were ready at that time. Whereas, as opposed to being, you know, eighteen and and quite immature and uh, and experienced, it would have been a big, uh, very different. You know, probably went off the rails even more than what we did when we were. You know, when we were first signed with Universal, but um, I, I mean, it's a great thing to have a record deal, but it's it's more greater to, you know, 
put things in place to then carry on, you know, continue to have the record deal and, you know, and make the record that you're, you know, doing, making that successful and making it the best it can be, you know, and that's, we always put a lot of work into, you know, our songs and I think that's why, what, what kind of carried us for so long, you know, and, and still carries us, you know, um, as uh, musicians and songwriters just now. Around about this time, I bump into Ryan McNeil at a pub somewhere in Glasgow, and I says, I see Martin James are doing great, and he says, you know, it's, he says, it's like Beatlemania, uh-huh. he says, the reaction they're getting, the crowds, and everybody's singing along, or the songs, and da 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 so that's all happening, so to, to give everybody an idea, because it's not just a band, that it's just it's a band with a fan base at this point, of course, Aye. over in Germany, mm-hmm. right? So what what is the, what's the biggest gig that you guys did, like, as headliners, what? Was he was doing kind of? Is it kind of King Touch level? Was it bigger than that? Um, the biggest gig we did was a um, it was a place called Central Station in Darmstadt, which I believe is near Munich or something. But uh, I, I mean, there was about nine hundred people at that show. And um, that's your headline. That was our that own show. Uh, it was it was a we expected to sell five hundred tickets and we sold nine hundred. Um, and it was mainly. I think it was about 200 walk-ups on the night um but that was at our peak you know we were mm-hmm. that was um that was at our peak as a, a headline act um and everybody's singing along to the songs despite the aye, fact that it's aye, not their first language they were um our first headline tour sold out um so from the first record uh we'd done a tour uh, with a re- very big promotion promotion company in germany called mlk we were with them for a long time um, and previous to our own tour, uh, we'd done a lot and lot, a very, um, you know, a lot, a lot of support tours before that. So this w- enabled us to build an audience. Yeah. And then they bought tickets for a headline show, which was amazing because, you know, our, um, the headline show, and we got the news of it being every uh, gig was sold out. It was just like. That was you and your dream, you know, living the mm-hmm. dream and turning up to a show and the place is packed out and everybody wants to hear you play your songs and it was amazing. Um, but, you know, a lot of things, you know, at the time weren't amazing and it was, um, you know, just industry things and, you know, management decisions and things like fees being arranged and, you know, we are, you know, you're, you know at the time it was like, fees being arranged for the, a sold out gig that doesn't even cover your expenses for the band you know that's how mm. bad it was you know and then afterwards your you know your headline tour's finished and you're back in the house and you're like what do we do now you know let's get back out and gig again but then the promoter doesn't want to put any more shows on because you don't have another product so you say to your promoter well when when can we do another headline tour oh no you can't until you have another record you're like when can we have another record? Oh, that's two or three years down the line. But then you've but you've came off a loss of your your headline tour, which was sold out. Came off a loss because of decisions that have been made with fees that haven't worked out. It's just it's crazy, man. It's like it's like you're living your dream, but at the same time you're having a nightmare. <laughs> which is it's bizarre. See, I know like when I'm looking at a band, I know enough to know that when I see a band on stage. And 
if it's a Barlands gig, I don't, I, I've, you're a bit of fast math in the head that I can do now that I couldn't do when I was in my teens, but just knowing music a bit better now and how the industry works and everything. I know they're not a millionaires, right? I know mm. they're not, I know they're not making great money, but even stuff like that still surprises me to hear that kind of thing mm-hmm. that you just said there. Um, so, living the dream, but still living a nightmare. Give an example of some of the other frustrations that you've got with management, record companies, because you can talk openly about this now. It's great. Aye. Um, okay, well, I mean, just uh, with regards to the, the fees and things like that, you know, a promoter will, you know, put a, a suggestion out to venues, um, to say, right, so we'll play this venue. It's a 500 capacity. Uh, the band haven't done a headline tour yet, so we're, we don't know what the expectations for ticket sales are. So let's agree a fee. So the sit manager says, okay, that can be the fee then. So the fee, you know, like, say, you you know, the fee is 600 euros, right? Which I think it was close to that uh, in reality. <laughs> so your venue, your, the venue then sells out and people are paying 20 euros a ticket. So there's 500 people paying 20 euros a ticket. You can work out the math, what the band are getting. So technically, you know, assuming your manager's going to go to the back to the promoter to increase the fee because that fee doesn't then, you know, relate to the the income that's going to be made on that night at the gig because that fee pretty much just only covers that um, initial fee, um, only covers the expenses for the band really because Martin and I are not paying ourselves. We're only paying musicians that are playing with us, and then you've got your uh, tour manager stroke roadie stroke merch guy stroke everything driver everything who was, who was Ryan uh, and then your petrol money you've got your hotel rooms things like that all add up and uh, that fee wasn't um, wasn't renegotiated <laughs> for the rest of the tour so uh, we were making a loss on every single gig we were doing um, and that's 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 nobody's fault Um apart from our managers at the time. Um, that was a big b- a bone of contention by us and the manager at that time. That kind of, that caused a lot of problems uh, at the time and, and eventually, you know, later down the line, which, you know, can ended up fracturing the relationship. Uh, but yeah, things like that. And, you know, even, you know, like just living, living as a musician, you're on a label and, you know, you're, your job is to write songs for a new record and uh you're you know you could be sitting you're totally skint you know and you're paying for your rent um and you're paying for your food and you're paying for your your drink and then you know just things simple things you know just like if you're not getting you know wages all the time you know it's uh simple things can frustrate you especially as a musician you know yeah. <laughs> very, very interesting. Oh, there's loads of stories, but I'm just can't think any more off the top. We'll of come head. back. But this is going to be a one of part seven, by the <laughs> way. The next part, we're definitely going to get you and Kelly in because I want to hear his kind of mm-hmm. humorous taking things. Shout out to yourself, Martin, by the way. Um, right. So, oh, uh, just to like Ryan again described it as, as Beatlemania. You getting recognised in the street and stuff like that at this point in Germany? Uh, it did happen a few times, uh, which was quite awkward. You know, I, I'm not really. I just want, for me, that I wanted to just write songs. I still am st- the same. I'm not in, I don't really care about the the whole, like, um, p- 
performance side, like not that I, the whole kind of egotistical side that you see, you know, the, I know what you mean putting you know makeup on and do, getting dressed up for videos and things like that, and really putting your face out there, uh, which you have to do, obviously. Um, but I really just wanted to write songs and and you know be able to earn money by for, uh, by doing that. Um, but it was it was quite it was you know there was some interesting times. You know, we I mean we supported. So let's, many let's, bands. Let's go through the list. Then. <laughs> that's I'll, that's I'll that's a long list. Paul Weller. Yep. Amy McDonald. Uh huh. Post macaroni and cheese at King yep, Dad's. That's it. That's the one. Uh, Brian Adams. Brian you've got Adams. a story about Brian Adams. You've, ah, you've yeah, shared it with right. me before. Before, please share it in this uh, format. <laughs> ah yeah, Brian Adams. He's a really cool guy, actually. Um, at the time, I'd recently had my daughter, and he had just had his daughter as well. And Martin and I were just playing in the dressing room. You and, and Brian Adams talking about dad stuff. I know it was it was really weird, and I didn't realize how small he was because um, I'm quite a small guy. And just you'd see you you know throughout my life growing up, you know, be watching Top of the Pops and you see Brian Adams. You don't realize how you don't think about people's height. You just assume they're a certain height. But when he walked into a dressing room, he was tiny. He was like, if not the same size as me, he was smaller than me. Um, he was like, hey, guys, like, that sounds great, that song. Like, that's great. Uh, just thanks for supporting me. And, like, like, me, Martin and I were just sat standing there staring at him, you know, not really knowing what to say. And we're thinking, is this his, like, body double or something? <laughs> um, but he was really nice and really kind. And so we did a few big shows with him out in Germany. We played um, a, big, a big show in Berlin. And then we went out somewhere near Frankfurt in the middle of a field. And they played to, like... I don't know, maybe fifty thousand people or something like something crazy, and um, so uh, you know, just assuming Brian Adams was this kind of easy going, laid back, kind of down to earth, kind of approachable guy. Uh, at the next gig, you know, there was there seemed to be a lot of black clouds in the sky, and uh, we just came off from our support, buzzing, like thinking, oh, it's going to thunderstorm, you know. And to Brian Adams is just standing, looking at the sky and just standing there and i walk up to him i say hey brian how's it going um i really hope um i really hope that the sky clears up for you because <laughs> it looks like it's going to rain and he said ah oh, yeah ah oh, th thanks man uh i'm just gonna stand over here <laughs> and then he just walked away from me so I was like, "Son of a bitch!" I was like, "I right, get the fuck in." <laughs> Brian Adams, if you're listening, get the fuck. <laughs> Should be honoured, but um, uh, I, he was actually a nice guy. Um, and yeah, fuck him. <laughs> and I just I couldn't you you know you watch his gig and you hear his songs and you realise how many, um, you know, top oh, tens he said. It's unbelievable, and every song you recognise because. Some of them you don't really realize it is him, you know, and his songs, and he wrote songs for so many other people that, uh, and he plays them as he shows as well. So, um, Weller, oh, Mel C, he wrote, he wrote, a, he wrote that tune with Mel C, remember that? That's right, Brian aye, Adams, aye, that's right. Brian Adams, aye. Uh, Weller, did you have much uh, communication with? He was a lovely guy. Um, our manager at that time, uh, was a huge fan of Paul Weller, and, and she had followed him around the world, so he knew her actually. Um, so she introduced us, and yeah, he was a lovely guy, you know. I mean, everybody we toured with um, and supported really made an effort to come and speak to us um, and came into the dressing room and, you know... 
Glenn Hansard as well, sorry. Just Hi, Glenn Hansard, ah, he came in and he didn't manage to see a set, but you know, I think he'd seen a sound check and came in at the end of the end of his show and you know, just you know, wished us all the best and you know, just one of those those great guys who obviously has came up from busking, that kind of you know, he's came up through the, the ranks and came up from the hard way of doing it and like us, you know, he just you know, you you play and play and play and play and play until until something breaks or yeah. something happens and he's 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 had that similar um you know trip and journey and uh you know he's made a real success out of it which is, is amazing and but yeah everybody we've supported like even like mick cucknell and uh you know the, the the bad press he got throughout the years in the 90s and things like that and he was one of the nicest guys we ever met and he invited us into the dressing room and we were drinking champagne with him at the end of the tour and um, it, at the t- it gave us some quite interesting advice. He kept saying, you know, if you've thought you've wrote the song, add another chorus. <laughs> he said, if you think you've got the chorus, write another chorus. It sounds like he said that to <laughs> Freddie Mercury before he wrote Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> add another section. And you think Aye. that's it? Add another section. <laughs> well, that's, and to be honest, I've kind of, I took that advice, you know, I, I, I didn't really, uh, appreciate it at the time but i kind of know what he means yeah i know what he means he just he, he's just saying you know write as many hooks mm-hmm. into a song and you know people at lady gaga prove yeah that you know there's not you know you can't have too many hooks you know and that's what you know music is all about melody that's what people are attracted to you know at the end of the day so i kind of knew i kind of took me a while to understand that that's what he was meaning but um he was a lovely guy you know we met we supported Taylor Swift as well, which was one of the, that was the biggest support we'd done. Mm-hmm. We played with her in Germany, then we came a her manager, um, who is actually I can't remember his name, but he's actually the Def Leppard's drummer's brother. So that's one of her right. managers. Okay. Um the English English guy. Such a nice, nice guy. And he asked us to do the UK tour. So we were blown away. You know, we played the the Manchester MEN and the big um, one in Birmingham, I can't remember the name, and we played the London NEC. I N E C I. Then we played the London O2 Arena, and that was like twenty five thousand people, and that was probably the most, you know, amazing gig I've probably done to date in terms of size, production, um, just like living the dream type thing. Yeah. You know, that that was probably the biggest support, you know, I'll probably ever do, but. Um, just to see the platform that Taylor Swift was on, you know, the production I think cost over you know a million pounds, and just the you know how big the production uh, was at the time was an amazing thing to see. Uh, and she was a nice person as well. We were introduced to her, and you know she commented um, uh, co- commented on the little drum that we were using and complimented our our accents. Which uh, she must have liked because she's now dating Calvin Harris, doesn't she? So, <laughs> so um, we must have inspired her to you love Scottish take, people. <laughs> you guys can take credit for that. Exactly. Calvin's got a lot to thank you for. <laughs> so you thank Calvin can thank you for his girlfriend. Amy McDonald can thank you for the macaroni and cheese. <laughs> Brian Adams can thank you for, I don't know. Being friendly, maybe. Being friendly, <laughs> that's the one. So James Eden then, the solo mm. career uh, continues. So recording at the moment, right? Yep. And so you've got a batch of songs. So what can we expect in the future then, as far as release well, EP album? What are we thinking? I um I'm 
my initial plan was to uh, just write some songs and see what happens. Um, because, uh, you know, once we were dropped from the label, I kind of I came away from music for a while and um, just to kind of gather my thoughts and be with family and, you know, take a bit of a step back from that whole um, crazy scene, which is the music industry. You know, it's, it kind of, it kind of, it can be the best thing in the world, but then, you know, once, you know, you don't have a platform to, to shout out from, then you're, you're nobody, you know, you're, you're suddenly, you've got a record deal, you're recording albums, you're touring, you're doing this, and then all of a sudden it's all gone. So I came back to Scotland and I kind of fell out of music um, for a while and um, I didn't, you know, pick up a guitar and I didn't want to write songs and there wasn't, wasn't really much I wasn't really getting any inspiration to, to want to do it again. Um, so I, I I decided to put myself out there and get, I, I started working again, like teaching kids in a community center how to play um, music. And then I got a job um, doing residential social care, um, which I'm, I'm still doing at this time. Um, so just throughout that time, you know, we, you know, trying to implement a bit of music into that line of work. I decided to, you know, I just by chance started writing songs again. So when I wrote some songs, uh, some of the songs came quite quick. So I thought, well, this is actually, you know, I'm starting to enjoy this again. Uh, and it was great because when you're enjoying writing music, that's usually the best music that you're writing at the time. So uh, and you're not writing for the sake of it, like, Martin and James, we were, at times we were writing for the sake of it because mm. record company demanded it. And, you know, when you're not in the place where, you know, you're not getting any inspiration from someone, you're just writing and it becomes a, a kind of factory line, kind of, um, you know, you're pushing the songs, which, you know, it's, you know, it wasn't the best way of working for the two of us. Um, and certainly it wasn't for me, so... I was starting to enjoy it again, and these songs came out quite quick, so I got in touch with a producer I knew, um, Chris Gordon, who used to be in uh, Union and Knives, who'd done quite well, and uh, I reached out to him, because funnily enough, he'd done the first Buona Devil EP uh, back in the day. So I reached out to him, and we'd done some tracks, and you know the results were, were, were really good. So I just thought, you know, I'm just going to continue writing and seeing what happens, so... It turned out to just wanting to write a couple of songs and it turned out to wanting to record a couple of songs and it turned out to uh, writing more songs and then it's now, you know, I'm, I'm going to release an EP. Um, Chris wants me to do a, re a record, um, but I think if I release an EP and make it a really strong EP, then I can take things from there. And what I like about it now, being solo, is that I can do things on my own time. I don't have to, you know, push the writing. I don't have to push the recording. I can do things at my own pace and doing it independently means that I'm going, you know, the results are going to be better. And, uh, you know, if I'm going to enjoy it more and, uh, you know, I think my audience are going to enjoy it more as well. And I've really recently done a, a private concert in Germany that I got really great feedback from. So all this kind of adds up to um, creating a profile for this new James Eden stuff. So aye, aye, onwards and upwards, hopefully. <laughs> the songs are great. I've been fortunate enough to hear them. Really excited about seeing you play live. And you said to me this thing before, you said, 
yourself and Martin, you're never really properly split up. So look forward to hearing your solo stuff. Look forward to hearing whatever you and Martin might do in the future. Always a pleasure. Thanks, James, Scott. Thanks Ethan, very much. And Thank by the you. way, when you're playing Germany, I want to go over there with a cajon, drums. Absolutely. Right. Anything. We're going to make it happen. Thank you very much, sir. Cheers. A fantastic interview there. Informative listening. Profound, informative, uplifting. It's like a cake in the face. Just like a cake right in the face. You know, I have a funny story for you, actually, that reminds me of something. (laughs) No, it's actually, it's a true story. I was there. It was amazing. I used to uh, work on these movies i had a friend who's a producer and and um, sometimes they would need background actors and also sometimes i played violin in these movies they were on hallmark channel you know the hallmark channel whatever. i've heard of it yeah anyway so they were like feel good movies you know there was a scene there was one time they were filming it was this this like a romantic comedy and there's a cowboy and this girl and and they're at this um they're at like a fair you know like a little circus thing and the scene is that he's supposed to throw a pie at her face. In the, There's a game. He's supposed to throw a pie at her face. And then he's supposed to miss. That's what it's in, a, that's in the script. But actually, by mistake, he actually did hit her in the face while they were shooting. Um, and it was very uh, funny because it wasn't supposed to happen. And there was whipped cream everywhere, and she was very upset. And it was a horrible thing to happen. <laughs> um, so just a word of caution to all of you out there. Make sure when you're throwing a pie at somebody, you know for sure if you're really trying to nail them in the face or if you're going to miss because you don't want to get somebody off guard. You know what I'm saying? And that advice will be useful to many people out there, no doubt. By the way, it sees you mentioned comedy and things like that. You're a fan of Ricky Gervais, right? Of course, yeah, he's right. hilarious. Did you? Are you right? <clears throat> did you watch The Office? Because I think that I would imagine in America you're more familiar with his later work, like stand-up shows and and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Did you Did you watch The Office? Not the Steve Carell, well, the original we- version. Yeah, yeah, we have that version. Because isn't there a totally different version in your neck of the woods? Yeah, as Ricky Gervais wrote The Office, it's his show. Uh-huh. Right? It's so, very funny. It is. I, I do enjoy it. So Right, so basically they're doing a... The, the original character that's that you're probably familiar with, Steve Carell played the, in the American version. Ricky yeah. Gervais played the, the British character who's called David Brent. And they're bringing out a movie. It's kind of like The Office, the movie, but it's just featuring the character David Brent. Oh yeah. So I think I'm really hoping it's it's out in America when I'm over there. If not, we'll all go and see it at the, at the cinema. Yeah, let's do it. Right. I'll bring the popcorn. You bring the um, cake. Yes. Right. Which right? Okay. Moving on. Sorry, everyone. We're just planning out our social lives. Uh, which of these planets has no moons? Uranus or Mercury? That is a hard question. I don't know the answer. Oh, yeah. I'm going to guess. Okay, let's try Mercury. I don't know. I have no idea. Moons of Mercury? Mer- moons of Uranus. Moons of Mercury. 
moons of Uranus, moons of Mercury. Guessing Mercury. Correct. Well Fun. Done. Educated guess. Right now, which of these is further from the sun, Pluto or Neptune? Um, Pluto. Correct. You're on fire. Thank you. Which of these is the moon of Jupiter? I can't pronounce this, right? E-N-C-E-L-A-D-U-S. What's that, Nora? Enceladus? Yeah. Or Lo, L-O. I-O. That's I-O. It's got an L here. I swear to God, it's got an L. I'm going to screenshot this. I-O. Right, so what one is it? Well, Io is definitely a moon. So what, is, Io, is, is which of Io, these is the moon of Jupiter is the question. Does it say it's Io or does it not say Io? It says Io. Well, it, well, it doesn't say Io. It says LO here, but I'm presumably it's meaning Io because I'm just Wikipedia some shit right now. I don't know. I mean, Io is definitely a moon. I haven't heard of the other one, but if they're trying to trick you, then... Io is correct. Well done. Great! Right. Which of these is the distance between Earth and the center of the Milky Way galaxy? Did you get that? Yeah, what is it? Is it 250 light years or 25,000 light years? Two hundred fifty. 250 or 25,000? Yeah. Okay, the Milky Way is fucking huge. Huge. Okay. In the middle of the Milky Way, there's a supermassive black hole, which scientists think is the um, has the gravitational um, force to keep all of the stars in the Milky Way. Now, we're not talking about the solar system. This is the whole Milky Way, right? So, obviously, this is billions of stars and planets. Um, so, isn't that interesting? We're trying to figure out why the disk of the Milky Way stays together, right? Mm-hmm. But it's because there's a supermassive black hole. So we're all just orbiting this fucking abyss, which is pretty funny. Um, okay, so 250 light years. That seems too small to me. That seems too small, I think. Can we, let's, 25,000? Let's try it. I don't know. Let's try it. Correct. Pretty far. Well done. Right. Yep. Last, like last one. Which year okay. was the first exoplanet discovered then? First exoplanet? Aye. 19, okay. 1995 or 2005? Exoplanets are planets outside of our solar system, right? Boom. Yeah, 95 sounds good. Correct. One. Don't look so- Two, jackass. <laughs> three, four, five, six, six out of seven. Bizarre quiz that's out of seven. Six out of seven. Really fun. I love this stuff. Thank you. I never get to talk about science stuff. People are always asking me, like, what kind of strings do you use on your violin? And I just, I'm like, can we just what? talk about when, the sun, please? When, when did you meet Janice from Friends? <laughs> You know what I mean, though. I mean, you know, I love talking about music. And you I know, love she's been that. in the podcast. You know that, right? Yeah, fuck yeah, I know that. Oh, sorry, am I allowed to swear? Sorry. 
are you allowed to swear? You've been swearing this podcast before it even existed. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're like, hey, Nora, I've got this idea for a podcast. I was like, fuck. <laughs> Hi. Do you remember the, the first time I actually contacted you was on Twitter, I think? Was it? Aye. I think I PM'd you on Twitter. I followed you. You followed me back. And I went, yo, you want to be on a podcast? And you went, fuck yeah. <laughs> I believe it. I definitely believe it. I'll probably still have it. In fact, I'm going to look it up right now for the historians out there that are probably wondering about these things, right? Because I'll still have it. They keep all that shit, don't they? I don't ever delete messages and anything like Twitter. Right, hold on. I'm going to look this up. So, Nora, tell us about your epic journey while I look this up. Tell us about Miami, the Big Apple. Well, Miami is a great place to go on a vacation. I was visiting my best friend, whose name is Dima, and she's a violinist. She plays classical violin. So I was there visiting her. I got to see her perform in the orchestra she plays in there called the New World Symphony. I ate a lot of tacos. I drank a lot of coconuts. I saw some fish. I even lost my bikini in the Pacific Ocean. I mean, Atlantic Ocean, but don't worry. I retrieved it. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, also, I saw some great musicians, some great Cuban musicians. I drank some good rum. What else did I do? Um, yeah, it was a really fun, really fun trip. I try to do, I go to Miami once a year. I recommend it. Everybody, if you'd like to go on vacation somewhere, Miami is a great place to go. Miami is the best. I'm looking, I, the first ever time I contacted you was on Twitter. Oh, that's what you're looking for. Okay, I thought, okay. You thought I was being rude? No, I don't know. I didn't know what I thought. I don't know. So are you glad to be back then? How much have you missed the podcast? I've missed it really a lot. I, you know, I miss your face. I miss the sound of your voice. <laughs> no, really. I mean, no, I'm serious. <laughs> I should just change my alarm in the morning to, hello, everyone, and welcome to the talk music. I should really just do that. Right. I'll tell you what, let's get you recording the intro as it is, right? As it, yeah. do it in a Scottish accent. Okay. We'll do I this. Do flip you. I cannot do it in a Scottish accent. Nora. There's no such thing as can't, you can't. Okay, I really cannot do it. I'll do it in my regular stupid American accent. If you want me to do it, I can do it. Right, I've just sent you. Right. No, I'm not. Okay, what did you send me? I just sent you the 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 thing, the intro. No, I want to do it from memory. Right, okay, go for it. And please do it in a Scottish okay. accent. No, I better. might. No, I might screw it up. I might screw it up. Okay. <clears throat> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat anything and everything to do with the world of music, and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. I'm Scott Cowie. I'm the greatest fucking motherfucker ever in the galaxy, ever. Sorry. And I'm Nora Germain, and apparently now we're both podcasters. Uh, you get this for free. You, you, no, no, you're going to hear us chat. You're going to hear us chat to many different people, but more often than not, it's going to be musicians talking about their lives with an arguably the greatest art form of all time. <clears throat> and you get this for free on iTunes, on Stitcher Radio, on SoundCloud, on Audioboom, on some other shit on scottcowie.com 
And so please rate, review, subscribe. Tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell your in-laws, tell your outlaws, punch a man on the street and tell him what we've got going on over here. But for now, enjoy the show. That's really impressive because I can't remember that shit. That's really impressive. And believe me, trust me when I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, she isn't reading it because I've got her in Skype right now and she's looking up at the sky with her eyes closed because she's trying to remember this shit. So there you I'm go. trying to hear you saying it and then just repeat what's do you going listen, on. Let's be honest. Do you listen to this when it goes out? Sometimes, yes. Do Not you? always. Sometimes I do. It really depends on um, if I think I did a good job or if I am really... Uh, if I have time, if I'm interested a lot in the guest, sometimes I just listen to like the guests a little bit and I sort of shut it off. I just listen to like that part because my part is always really stupid anyway. So <laughs> I sometimes just listen to the guests for like a few minutes and that's sort of it. But yeah, I really, it really depends. But yes, I do listen to it sometimes, not everyone. But when it's a really good one, because to be honest, this one's, there's, there's ones that I'm not going to name them because people will think that some of the other ones are not worth listening to. There's some of the ones where we have such a laugh and it's good and we're just on form and uh, not to pat each other on the back. But there's some times where it's just really fucking great, you know? <laughs> it's true. No, it's true. You and I have gotten to know each other very well over the last... Um... But listen, I'm going to make a special announcement. What is it? I think we might have spoken about this before, so it might not be a special announcement. But I've either said this to you or I've said it in my head. We're going to be recording a video series of the podcast when we were out in America this year. Los Angeles to be exact, Nora's backyard, right? And we're going to video it, and we're going to, the first person... This is my front yard. Nora's front yard. Um, <laughs> and we're going to, um, the first little feature that we're going to do on video, Nora's going to be having the violin at the ready. I'm going to be asking the questions, and we're going to be talking about Johann Sebastian Bach. We covered that a little bit in episode 100, but we're going to do an extended feature on it. Nora's going to play violin. We're going to talk schmack. We're going to talk about Nora's new book. We're going to talk about our website. We're going to talk about all the exciting things she's got coming up, including the album that everybody's talking about. That's all coming up in the future. But next week is another podcast. You can get it right here. As Nora just stated there, scottcavy.com, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy, all that shit. And we'll see you guys next week. See ya. Vink! Bye! What?